the moment that I wanted to jump across the couch and put my hands around my client's neck <sighs> and say, how many times are we going to talk about the same thing? <laughs> I realized I should not be doing therapy. Welcome to The Max, a podcast for leaders and entrepreneurs. Hosted by Fifma Kramer. Hi there. This is episode number 17 of The Max podcast. I have a very interesting guest. I made this one with care and love. And the one thing I would like you to do is subscribe to my channel. I will be very grateful if you do. But with no further ado, let's start the interview. Lois, welcome uh, to my podcast. Uh, it's very an honor to have you on my show. Um, of course, we all know you are a best-selling author and an executive coach and an expert in the field of leadership development for women. And, um, well, your books have really appealing titles. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> They're intriguing, aren't they? Yes, yes. You know, well, um, to name one of them, of some of them, nice girls don't get the corner office and nice girls don't get rich. And besides writing books, um, well, you founded two non-for-profit uh, organizations, And, uh, yes, I did. Yes. Can you tell us a, a little bit about it? Because one of them called Most, and the other one is Bloom Again Foundation. So uh, can you tell us what is it all, all about? Yeah, um, Most, which is short for Motivating Our Students Through Experience. Mm -hmm. I found it, oh, it was probably about 40 years ago now, when I worked in a corporation and I was working in the diversity and inclusivity department. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, you know, if we really want diversity and inclusivity, we need to start children very young, uh, particularly women yep. or girls, uh, gaining self-confidence. And so I started a program where we paired professional women mm -hmm. with inner city school girls or at-risk girls, girls that came from, um, from uh, you know, poorer homes. These yep. were not wealthy girls. Mm -hmm. These are These are girls that came from poorer homes. And we paired the women with them, with the professional women, so that they could get outside their communities and see what's possible. Yeah, it's a great initiative. Yeah. 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 And that's been around for 40 years. And it's kind of morphed into a, a college access program where, you know, not just keeping the girls in school and not just making sure they don't get on drugs or get pregnant, mm. but really encourage them to go on to college. And many of them have. So that's most. And then Bloom Again Foundation, I started, uh, it's been now, it's been about 15 years ago. And I started it right after I had my own challenge with breast cancer. Mm. And I realized that I was really very lucky yep. that not, not that I had breast cancer, but I was mm. very lucky that I had all the resources I needed to heal. I mean, it didn't cross my mind that I wouldn't get better. It was like, if you have everything you need, now just put it to use, including, it wasn't just money, and it was access to doctors, and it was support system, yep. my own business that, you know, mm. people could run for me while I was away. Yep. And um, I said, when I get through all this, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start an organization that can help women 
who have breast cancer who don't have the same uh, resources that I have available. Mm. And so uh, when I was well, I did start it. And we provide uh, financial assistance to working women who live at the poverty level when they have a medical challenge so that they can stay home and they can heal too. We pay their rent, utilities, food, things like that. Mm. So that's what Bloom Again does. And the name, Fief, comes from the fact that I was, when I was getting better, a friend came into my house and my hair was growing back and Mm. my eyelashes were growing back. And she looked at me and she said, Lois, you're blooming again. <laughs> and I thought that's the name of the organization. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, I really admire you because you're a great example of just doing things. I, I mean, yeah. Yeah. You're a real do, doer, we, we, we say. Yeah. You know, I really am. If I see that something's wrong, I, I have to do something. Yeah. And when I can't do anything, It's so frustrating, Fief. It's like this whole thing with Donald Trump. (laughs) It was so frustrating to me. There was nothing I could do. You know, nothing I could do. Yeah, do you feel powerless? And did you ever think of moving to another country when the whole Trump thing was going on? (laughs) Absolutely. It was... Canada, yes, <laughs> you, you know, and, and Canadians were like inviting us. Yep. We're saying it's really nice up here. And uh, I remember I went to visit Canada during all this, and somebody said, "How can you stand it?" I said, "I can't. I'm about to, you know, move here." So Canada and um, France, the south of France, oh, really? were high on my list. Oh, oh yes, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's still on your list, or or is that? Still already no, they're, still, they're still on my list. You know, I, I keep, well, during the last election, I said, if Trump gets elected again, I'm out of here. <laughs> so, 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 um, we so see. yeah, absolutely. Still on my list. I, I'd love to live particularly in, you know, down around Amboise or, mm. you know, the, that region. Yeah. Uh, I just love it down there. I, you know, I would love to live down there. Well, you you live uh, in a in a sunny area at this moment, and I had to laugh because you you moved from the east coast of the United States uh, to Southern uh, California, and uh, I, I read in one of your articles or wherever uh, that one of the reasons that you never have to put snow tires on your car. Or, or storm <laughs> windows on your home. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's why when people say to me, would I ever move back east? And my family wants me to come back east. Yeah. I always say, you know, I'm not shoveling snow. I'm not putting snow tires on the car. I'm not putting storm windows. I don't have to do any of that, which is wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a little bit like in the south of France, uh, France uh, maybe. Like right? That. Yeah. Yeah. So now, now about your book because that's the that's the reason why we are we have our our, our interview, and um, it's one of the uh, one of the in, in in the series of the nice girls, and um, well, to be nice with others or take care of others that's your um, definition of of nice girls I believe. Well, um, my specific definition is acting in ways that other people expect of you because you're a female. Mm. And until recently, I defined it a little bit differently, which was acting according to the ways you were taught in childhood 
were appropriate for little girls. But mm. I know that that's changed. Mm. So although we're giving little girls different messages in childhood, as soon as they get to school, as soon as they open up a magazine, watch a television show, um, have peer pressure, all of that changes. You know, girls perceptions of themselves change and they do become more subservient. Mm. So, so really when I talk about being a nice girl, it's not about you can't be nice. No, it's no. That you, it's yeah. that you can't be that little girl that other people would like you to be and still expect to achieve your goals. Yeah. Yeah. I know you're quite maybe pessimistic about the changes we, we had. Um, yeah. You know, <laughs> I think we're moving at a glacial speed, mm. but, but we're moving. Um, at least we're moving in the right direction. But it yeah. seems to me for every step forward we take, we take, take one backwards too. You know, I just posted something on my LinkedIn page. And for any of your listeners um, who want to connect with me on LinkedIn, mm -hmm. I'm all, always posting something that I think would be of interest to women because I know people don't have time to go through all the literature. Um, but I just posted something and it was the, it was the 10 wealthiest men, and I think it was in the United States, mm -hmm. but it was the 10 wealthiest businessmen. No, I'm sorry. Let me take that back. It was the 10 highest paid CEOs. That's what it was. The 10 highest paid CEOs. And there was not one woman on the list, Fieve. No. Yeah. There was not one woman on the list. Now, there's something wrong with that. Yeah. There's something fundamentally wrong with that. Yeah. And so, yes, even though we've made progress, as you look around the world, we still don't see women either predominantly in charge or even equitably in charge mm -hmm. of companies, countries, towns. If I can name on one hand the exceptions, <laughs> and they include, right, Angela Merkel, yes, yep. uh, Jacinda Ardeth, I think, in New Zealand. You know, if I can name on one hand the women who are the exception to the rule, there's something wrong. Mm. So is, is that your, your main goal in, in writing those books as well? You know, my main goal is to encourage women to achieve whatever their goals are mm. and to have them understand that there are no limitations other than what we place on ourselves. Yeah, sure. And so sometimes th those limitations are from old messages. You know, I, I was doing a Simon Sinek workshop earlier this week, and I was talking about the fact that those those old messages um, preclude us sometimes from even knowing what we want. Mm. Uh, and those messages can be as simple as, you know, you're going to grow up, you're going to have children. Uh, why do you need to have an expensive college education? Messages like that, that have us think twice, right? Yep. Or money, money isn't as important as doing good. Yeah, well, money is important, yeah. right? Yeah. And doing good is important. They're not mutually exclusive. Mm. So if you, if you talk about not knowing their goals, uh, maybe it has to do with that, that women are, are good in showing their competence and, and men are more <laughs> showing their confidence. So that's the difference that showing your, your competence doesn't really mean that you have a goal with that. Right. Very well put. 
men are women are good at showing their competence yeah men at their confidence mm-hmm. and it's why women for example when promotional opportunities become available if they're not if they think they don't have competence in all of the requirements they won't apply for they won't apply for the job true yeah whereas a man will say you well, know i hmm. i maybe have but I'm smart and I can figure it out. I was on a call last night with some women in um, Australia mm-hmm. and one woman said she has a hashtag apply anyway. <laughs> <laughs> she wants everybody to apply anyway. And, yeah. and that's, I think I posted it after that. I posted an article last night about from the Harvard Business Review about the fact that women won't apply for jobs mm-hmm. that they don't think they're 100% qualified for. So you're absolutely right, Fief. You're yeah. absolutely right. Well, I had the same. When I started my career, I also was a very nice girl. I'm still, I am, partly. But I thought when I, when I do a good job and, and have the, the competence in me, then I will get noticed. But in the long run, I, I noticed it wasn't true. And I saw other other now mostly men uh, making promotion and uh, who, who weren't that um, competent as 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 me as, as me I think. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know what you what you just how you just described you is how I describe myself, which is a recovering nice girl. Right, you never quite recover from it. If you're a nice girl, you never quite recover. It pops up when you least want it to. But at least we're conscious Mm. of the fact that these are the things that we do. And it's probably one of the things that caused you to start your own business and caused me to start my own business. Because the fact was, was, you know, it's that tall poppy syndrome, right? That the tall poppy gets cut down. Yeah. So... If you want to do great things, sometimes you got to go out on your own. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, well your 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 uh, famous book of you is "Nice Girls Don't Get the Corner Office," and and we really they call that book the Bible for women. Did you? very nice. Yeah, flattering. Did you expect uh, such a success? No, I, I didn't expect such a success, and I didn't even want it to be called "Nice Girls." Oh, no. Um, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. I didn't want it to be called. My working title for it was Quit Being a Girl, which I thought was more de- descriptive. Yep. Because, you know, I wanted women to quit being girls and start being adult women. Mm-hmm. But the publisher in the deal was we have the right to change the title. So they changed the title. And I said, you know, you realize I'm going to spend the rest of my yeah. life <laughs> saying you can be nice and you can be successful. And, and that has proven true. But it also, but in terms of sales or marketing, it also proved to be provocative. And I think they were right. Yeah, the title really st- st- stuck to you during your life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, but right. uh, this book we're going to talk about is, is an audio book. And nice girls don't speak yeah. up or stand out. And, and what's what's the reason we can o- can only find it on audiobook? You know, it's because I I thought I was re- finished writing nice girls books. Mm-hmm. Right after four nice girls books, it was like enough already. <laughs> um But then I, what I realized was that the question I was most often asked from women was, how do I communicate in a way that gets me heard? Mm. How do I say things 
that doesn't offend other people, but doesn't marginalize my opinion either. Mm-hmm. And so I, I sold the book and then I went back to the publisher and I said, you know, as I write this, I realize that it cries out to be heard, not yeah, read. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because I can write all the tips, but it doesn't do the same thing as if you can hear me saying them. Yeah. So that's why we made it an audio book mm-hmm. so that people could actually listen and hear the inflection and the tone and, and can go back and listen, you know, over and over again anywhere they want. Yeah, that's very powerful. That's true. That's true. So t- t- can you tell us some some of the ways in which women don't speak up or stand out? Because there was a yeah, reason but, uh, why you wrote it. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, well, some of the ways that we don't are, you know, number one is just being polite, mm-hmm. right? When, you know, as you talked about, w- w- women want to be polite. And so if other people are talking, they won't always interrupt. And if you don't interrupt politely, the chance may be gone, mm. right? Yep. So, and we know that there are times when men will take up all the air in the room. <laughs> so, you know, in the book, I talk about the fact that if you have something to add to something, one great way to interrupt without being seen as an interrupter mm-hmm. is to say, hang on, let me summarize to see if I understand what you just said. Yeah. I want to make sure I understood what you said. Mm-hmm. And then you summarize it. Now you have the floor. Yeah, that's true. And now you can, you can add what you want to say. Mm. Um, so that's one thing. Another thing is tooting our own horn, right? Mm-hmm. We tend not to toot our own horn. As you said, I thought if I was competent, people would notice. Yep. Well, that's not the way it works. If you no. notice, guys have no problem tooting their own horn. Mm. They'll let you know exactly who did what and you know when, and it's usually them. So learning how to call attention to our achievements. You know, one easy way to do this is to number one, well, two easy ways to do this is number one, erase, oh, it was nothing from your vocabulary. Mm. Never say, oh, it was nothing again. No, no, no. Replace that with, thank you for noticing. I worked really hard on it, and I appreciate that you noticed. Um, Another thing is that about six weeks before your performance review, Mm -hmm. send your boss a summary of your key accomplishments during the last review period. And just say, you know, I know you have a lot of reviews to do. I thought it might be helpful to you if I summarized my key accomplishments. Mm-hmm. Send an email, just send it off. Those are two simple things that you can do. Yep. And one la- and one last thing that women do. Were you going to ask a question about no, that? No, 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 I'm, I'm listening. <laughs> okay. Um and one last thing that women do that gets in their way is they use few too, they use far too many words. Yeah, that's true. The more words you use, you soften your message. The fewer words you use, you strengthen a message. Mm-hmm. So in the book, I talk about this model that's called headline communication, where if you're asked a question or you want to give an opinion, you make sure you're headline is the most important thing you want someone to hear. Mm. And then, and that should be one or two sentences. And then you follow up with two or three examples or two or three pieces of data. And then you toss it back to the other person and say, you know, did I make myself clear? Do you have any questions about that? You know, listeners, if you've been listening, you know, listeners today have heard me using this consistently throughout our talk. Yep. 
I am numbering things in my head, right? You know, you said first, your first question was, tell me about most and tell me about Bloom again. Mm. And so I did those two and then I stopped. When you asked me about what mistakes do we make, you know, I numbered. I had three I wanted to talk about. Yep. And so when, when I finished those three, I know I'm finished. Yep. And that's important for women to kind of number and, and sort and categorize. Yep. Well, what is it that I want to say? I want to say these three things. And then you know when you're finished. So be more structured. Yeah, I think communicating in a more structured way. Mm. Um, enables you to get your point across more clearly yep. and without feeling as if you have to explain. See, that's why women use too many words is we feel as if we have to explain. And so we keep explaining. That's one reason. Mm. A second reason why we use too many words is that men don't give us any positive feedback. If listeners could hear, if listeners could watch you and me right now, if they could see us, we are nodding our heads at each other. We are smiling at each other because this is how women communicate. But when you communicate to men, you often don't get that nonverbal message <laughs> that I heard you. Yeah. And so what do you do? You, do? you keep talking. <laughs> mm, but, but is it uh, so that the reason why we don't speak up is the fear of being disagreed or, or creating a conflict or being dismissed or rejected? All of those things. Yeah. Fear of being dismissed, rejected, uh, seen as too pushy, mm -hmm. seen as bitchy. Uh, if you're asking for something, seen as needy or greedy. Yep. Um, there's all kinds of reasons why we don't speak up. Sometimes we were told not to speak up, mm. right? You know, in my generation, it was little girls are to be seen and not heard. No. I, I have to tell you, Fief, I was 35 years old before I went to someone's house and asked for a glass of water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's a thin line between being too, too dominant and, and being too uh, submissive. And yeah, you know, uh, Kathleen Kelly Reardon, who was a, is an author here in the United States and someone that you might want to look into speaking to yep. as well. She talks about some uh, she she talks about negotiation in the workplace, um, but she talks about something called the thin pink line. Mm. And that women have to constantly walk a thin pink line. If I go too far to one side. I am described as too aggressive. Yep. If I go too far to the other side, I'm seen as too submissive and I won't get anything. So that we need to walk that line. Now, that's part of what nice girls don't speak up or stand out mm. is really about. It's how to walk that thin pink line. My original title for that book, they, they changed that one too. Mm -hmm. My original title for that one was how to tell people to go to hell so they look forward to the trip. <laughs> <laughs> and they, then they decided they wanted they didn't really want it. first they wanted it then they said no 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 we're oh, going to change that make, that's make it another nice girl book <laughs> that would be but nice that's the, <laughs> yeah but that's the challenge that women have mm. men don't have that challenge no because no. men can say it however they want and they don't get called too aggressive or too pushy or right rarely at least Caucasian men yep <laughs> Yeah. yeah, at least Caucasian men don't get called mm. that. Men of color, that's a whole different story. Yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's part of the problem. Yep. And so we do need to have techniques. And that's really what I wrote about in this book 
uh, well, I wrote about it in what you'll hear if you listen to it, mm. is how do you walk that thin pink line, yeah. right? And let me just give you, I'll give you one example so, so you can see the difference. You know, when a, when a man is going to negotiate, he can go in and he can sit down and he can say, you know, I want to talk to you about a raise. Mm-hmm. I've done this, this, and this, and I think the time has come. And seems like logical and that that would be fine. A woman does that and she's seen as a little too strident. So remember what I said, more words soften a message, fewer words strengthen it. So in a case case like this, I might use a technique that's called uh, contrasting. Mm -hmm. Contrasting what you do want and you don't want. So I might say something like, you know, Fief, I don't want you to think that I am not grateful for everything you've done for me because I am. Mm. At the same time, when I look at my pay compared to others in the industry, it's about 20% lower. So I'd like to talk to you about why I believe this is the right time for a raise. Yeah, that's great. And then yeah. I, right? And then I shift into my mm. headline communication. So there's all these techniques that when you start putting them together, uh, yeah. they really work for you. Yes. Yes, and I bet. So it's it's besides uh, using certain certain techniques and using less words, um, it's all about the way you communicate as well. Huh? So you you you've been in south of France. Maybe you, you speak a little bit French. I don't know, but they say "c'est le ton qui fait la musique." It's it's the, it's the the sound of the music that makes uh, yeah makes your words. Uh, uh, okay or not okay. And uh, isn't that the way you communicate that either helps or hinders you? See, now the French know how to say it beautifully, don't they? (laughs) It is. (laughs) See, that's one reason. And I do speak a little French. I didn't know that. I didn't know that phrase. It's been a while since I've used it. Um, But yeah, part of it is how you say it. Mm. Because if I say to you, you know, Fief, I know you've really done a lot of things for me and Mm. I don't want you to think I'm not grateful. If I talk like that, there's the exact same words, but they don't come across the same. No, 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 that's true. That's true. I was also thinking about the fact you worked internationally and um, do you think there's a cultural difference as well between the way we communicate best as women So, because I can imagine that women in India uh, and the States, United States, communicate differently. Yeah, absolutely. There are cultural differences, particularly between the East and the West. And, you know, I spent many years going to Indonesia to Mm -hmm. teach the Indonesian nationals um, how to be more assertive with their bosses. Oh, really? Because... Yeah, because that was really hard for them, you can imagine, in that culture. Mm -hmm. And the way I described it was that across cultures, and I don't care if you're American or Indian or Indonesian, the best communication is really a combination of East and West. Yep. Because when you think about the uh, Eastern culture, it's about allowing people to save face. Mm-hmm. It's about not, not having to always, you know, be right and, and showcase yourself. But if you don't do any of that, no. then people aren't going to listen to you. On the other hand, if you act like a typical Westerner and you just say, here's how it is. This is what mm. I want. You know, blah, 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 blah. you know, 
that's not going to fly in Jakarta or that's not going to fly in New Delhi. And so, so really the best communications combine the best of East and West, I think. Yeah. Um, There were were a couple of words. I would would really find them funny as well, but man-terrupting. Oh, man-terrupting. Yeah. Um, that's what men do all the time, right? <laughs> when when you are talking yeah. and they interrupt you before you finished your sentence. <laughs> Now, there's two ways you can handle this, right? You need to do something because mm-hmm. you can't allow yourself to just be interrupted. So there's two ways to handle this. One is, you know, as soon as they interrupt you, just say something like, you know, excuse me, I wasn't quite finished. Let me finish my thought and then I'll, I'll toss it back to you. Mm. Now, that might be a little hard to do with the boss, but you could certainly do it with your peers, yep. right? You could certainly do it with your husband, <laughs> right? You could certainly do it with your father. There's a lot of people you could do that with. But then the second thing is to let them finish. And then when they finish, say, you know, I'd like to take the floor back because I, I actually hadn't quite finished. Mm, yeah. Okay. And, and then take the floor back and do that. You know, it, Go ahead. Oh, no, Did no. I explain that? I was, I, this one was one of them, but the other one was mansplaining. Mansplaining? Mansplaining, right? <laughs> I saw a cartoon yesterday. Mansplaining is when men explain things to you that you already know. Right? <laughs> that, you know, there's no reason that they should be explaining this to you. It's a second way they do it, though, is if you're in a meeting with a client Mm -hmm. and someone asks you a question, he'll jump in and answer it. (laughs) That's mansplaining. I saw a cartoon yesterday where a guy looks at a woman and he says, I don't want to be mansplaining. Now, mansplaining is when, (laughs) then he goes on to explain mansplaining. Um, But you can do a couple things with this, too. Yeah. You know. The first thing is, if he does it in a meeting to you where you are asked the question and then he interrupts, mm-hmm. you need to say, hold on, I got this one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, because this, particularly if you're in a client meeting, mm-hmm. right? If you let him take over, you're no longer in the meeting. No, that's true. Mm. Yeah. 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 And that's one way where we give up our power, don't we? Yeah, sure, sure. So, and um, there's a one, uh, one other one is... Appropriating. What's that? Appropriating is like appropriating, like when someone takes something from you. Appropriating is when a guy takes your idea as his own. <laughs> okay. And and there's two ways to handle this. One is with the other women in your office, you need to have an agreement. Mm-hmm. That you are going to amplify each other's comments. Yep. And amplify just means to um repeat them or comment on them. Mm. So for example, if you and I work together in an office fief and you said something, I need to, you know, something that needed to be heard. Mm. I need to say something like, Hey, hang on. I think fief just made a really good point. Yeah. Um, and I'd like to support it for this reason. The second thing you can do is if somebody appropriates your idea is to let him finish And then say, and you got to practice this one because it's you got to pull this off perfectly. But you let him finish and then say, thank you so much 
for expanding on my idea. <laughs> it made me realize that I'd like to add something to it. <laughs> <laughs> great, great. So, I, but because do you do you actually use all those all these techniques you talk about? Because, or maybe you're unaware of of them because you use them a lot. No, I'm absolutely aware of them. Yeah. And I I use them all the time. Now, I don't use them consciously. Mm. You know, it's not like, oh, now I have to use this one no, or no. use this one. It's more like, you know, one of the techniques I talk about in the book is how to have a difficult conversation. Mm. And it, and in, in having a difficult conversation, I need to describe why I want to talk to you, explain my position, elicit yours, specify what I want and indicate what it will be the outcomes if you give me what I want. I use that all the time. Yep. I used it just the other day. I was having my car repaired and this guy was starting to explain something to me and it really bugged me because it was like he, he hadn't even listened to what I said about the car, right? <laughs> and so I just went through the steps and I said, you know, I don't want you to think that I don't respect what you're saying. At the same time, let's remember that it's my car and I feel as if I'm not being heard. And what I need you to do mm. is listen to me before you make any comments, Yeah. right? And so I went through every step. Yeah, that's very. So, yeah. so yeah, I use it all the time. Same thing with the headline communication when I do a lot of interviews mm. I try to use it in every interview yeah. so that I, I don't give answers that are too long-winded yeah no it's it's, it's very uh, tactical tactical <laughs> and practical altogether so uh, of all of the the techniques you talk about is there one that's more difficult for you than others you know the one for me that's most difficult is negotiating yeah Okay. Yeah. So why? Yeah. I, I am not a good negotiator, <laughs> you know, and all the, li all the literature shows women are great when they negotiate for someone else. Yep. That's true. Not so much when they negotiate for themselves. Mm. Right. Mm. Um, I remember when I went out to buy my car and this is a great time to negotiate, right? Because I'm never going to see this person again. And so I should be negotiating at my best. And that's called a transactional negotiation versus a personal one. Mm. You know, in a personal one, I'm going to see you again. And so I need to do yep. it carefully. Yep. But in a transactional one, I'm never going to see you again. Why not take some risks? Yeah. And I felt, but I think why I'm not good at it is because I'm so focused on not damaging relationships even ones that I may not continue. And so I didn't want to insult him by offering significantly lower than what he was asking for the, for the price, right? Um, and yet, again, the research shows the people who ask for the most discount get the most discount. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so the one for me that's the hardest is the negotiation. Mm, so it's a leftover of the nice girls. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Recovering. <laughs> um, I know uh, I, I heard this is the last year that you will be going, uh, doing keynote uh, speaking and that you're going to focus on helping women get elected to public office. Yeah, um, actually, I'm. I'm not going to, I've stopped doing in-person keynotes mm. uh, and I stopped with the pandemic uh, mainly because I had to. Yeah. And then I realized 
Well, this is great. Not getting on planes and not being away so often and enjoying my home and my family. And, Mm. you know, so it's like I thought, okay, so I'm not going to do that anymore. So I do webinars. But what I what I said I would do is a coach any woman who's interested in running for public office. Mm. I will help her to craft and deliver her message so that she says it in a way that people will really listen to. Mm. And and the reason why I'm doing that is because I feel so strongly we need more women in politics. That that our world is not going to change. We are not going to change until we reach that critical mass of women in politics. Yeah. Yeah. Did did you ever have political ambition yourself? You know, it's crossed my mind frequently and people ask me if I'll run. I'm not good with foolish people. (laughs) I do not suffer fools gladly. And as you said at the top of this interview, I'm a doer, Mm, right? Yeah. And by nature, politics is more consensual usually. And after having run my own business for over 30 years and starting my own nonprofits and and just being a doer, I realize I don't always play nicely in the sandbox. <laughs> You're maybe you, you you need too much patience as well. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's one thing I am very short on. <laughs> you know, that's why I closed my private practice of psychotherapy. You know, I had a private practice oh, of really? psychotherapy. Oh, okay. I did. I did. And, you know, the moment that I wanted to jump across the couch and put my hands around my client's neck <laughs> and say, how many times are we going to talk about the same thing? <laughs> I realized I should not be doing therapy. <laughs> It was a good choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Coaching uh, was a much better choice. Yes, yes. Uh, do, do you have any advice for the women candidates? Yeah, you know, I think for women candidates, it's it really is all about understanding that there are different rules for men and women and for how they communicate. Mm. And you cannot communicate like a man and have most people accept you. Let's just use Angela Merkel as an example, a very powerful communicator, Mm. but she doesn't communicate like Donald Trump or even uh, Biden, but she doesn't communicate in that way. She communicates carefully, thoughtfully, But she doesn't lose her power in it. And so that's, I think, what women have to understand. Um, I think it's one reason why Hillary Clinton was never elected. I don't think she ever found that place. People either saw her as too strident. Mm. uh, And mostly I think they saw her as too strident. I don't think they saw saw her as too soft. No, 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 no. I don't think so. No. Yeah, so that's the most important piece of advice is that you can be direct and straightforward mm. and you can get to your point, but you need to do it in a way that is uniquely you and uniquely feminine. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So where, where can we find your your book? I think almost everywhere, but where where can, can people find your information and the things you write about? Sure. Uh, they can connect with me on LinkedIn, mm-hmm. um, Dr. Lois Frankel, and I post things there. I have a website, 
drloisfrankel.com. Mm-hmm. And on that website, there's free inventories you can take. There's a link to my books. Um, if you have anything you want to say to me, you can send me a message through there. And then um, all of the online bookstores, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, they all carry my books. Yeah. So, mm. uh, and they're, they're often in bookstores, you know, bookstores are kind of iffy these days. You never know what they're going to have. True, true. Yeah, true. So a lot yeah. of places where we can find you and that they will surely, uh, go, aren't going to find you or are going to look for you. So I would like to thank you for this great interview. And thank you for the invitation. And I've really enjoyed speaking with you, Fief. Yeah. And I wish you all the best for everything you are going to do afterwards and uh, everything in your life thank you very much thank you thanks for joining me today if you like to hear more about me and the max go to the max.partners and don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss an episode